Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. All right, everybody. Oh, Lord, here's that, that Mexican music, Toxie. I was telling you, <laughs> for some reason, we are liked in Mexico. I don't well, I know what that because, is. I think it's because our guest today was talking about he he was actually doing a bunch of gamekeeping work and was constructing a sombrero. <laughs> he did yeah. say, that's, he did I, say I, that. I, I, that's exactly what he said. <laughs> Five minutes ago, I heard it come out of his mouth. Yeah, yeah, you did. That Maybe made we'll me have laugh to get him to explain <laughs> later in the, in the broadcast oh, look. what a oh. sombrero is. We're going to have fun today. I, I can just feel it. And let me just go ahead and tell everybody, Lanny's not sitting here, but he when he walks up, whoever's looking out that window, wave him on in so he doesn't just... Get- Walk off. Yeah, so, take a call or something. Yeah, so we he's got, gonna be in a great mood after having a flat tire and no telling where he's been. There's, there is no telling. But uh, uh, Dudley, good to see you. Glad to see you. I'm glad to here. be here. Yeah, and then Toxie down at the end of the table. You look like you've been on a tractor, and I know you're going back on a tractor. No, so. I'm, unfortunately, I'm done. But I started early for the last couple of days. It looks like we're gonna get some. Don't rain even tonight. say don't, uh, well, Bobby. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> don't talk about it. I know. Okay, we'll, we'll move. Well, I've we'll, been we watering got my rain. yard a lot and they, all my plants. Like South Sumter County got like six inches today already down there. It's crazy. Well, look, that is that it went from nothing for six weeks to six. We don't need six inches. inches. Yeah, you know. no, that's just pretty crazy. I'm gonna go ahead and introduce our guest because I can see him on there. He's jumping around. He's going. He wants to talk, but we have got the one and only Gerald Swindle. Hey, 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 welcome to the Gamekeepers, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we blew the horns for you, Gerald. I mean, that's a big deal. I, I mean, y'all brought in the big guns, too. Y'all brought Toxie in. Y'all, somebody must have told y'all I was, was going to say a cuss word or something. Y'all I'm brought not. the boss in. <laughs> I'm the hired farm labor. That's what I am. I'm not I'm not the top gun. Look, we look we we get a big kick out of some of the things that you do, and obviously we all love to fish, but but we get a big kick out of what we see you doing uh, around the hunting camps and, and and carrying on and stuff. And we've been wanting to have you on for a long time. But before that, let me just say how proud are we watching you on these fishing tournaments, wearing the mossy oak patterns, and out there winning friends, winning tournaments, and influencing people. Yeah, you've got you've got it going on. Man, it's it's easy to promote a brand when it's your lifestyle. You know, that's what I tell people. I say, get, when you're sponsored by the right people, I was going to wear it anyway, you know. And, and, and when you're out there doing it in your own element and you're 
you can back the people that that you grew up like that was all i ever did was hunting fish so like it's kind of second nature to me but it's been fun i i have enjoyed uh you know really enjoyed my relationship with mossy oak and seeing things and, and kind of understanding more about game and land prep and learning you know, early early on when I was filming in TV, I met Cuz and sit down and talk. And I realized I was kind of getting to that different stage in my life where I was, I like, I still like killing. Now, don't get me wrong. I will turn <laughs> violent non-Christian in one day and kill stuff. But like most <laughs> of the time, I'm trying to get to that next step in life where it's about the preparation and the lifestyle, the family style of coming back to the farm. So it's kind of been a cool blend now that I'm you know, with Mossy Oak that I'm in that part of my life where I can come down and talk to you guys about the seed and plant and then go back and watch it. And it's kind of cool to me. It's my, it, me not being that when I'm not fishing, hunting is my getaway. That's where I go to get my sanity back. And my wife and I, we just enjoy it. We just, we do redneck stuff. People ask us all the time about it on social. I'm like, we just do redneck stuff. We don't, I don't have nobody make my social or do nothing. We just pretty much show what we do. That's what people want you being you. But it's yeah. funny how of the, you know, we've had several close friends in fishing and uh, of notoriety like you, and they are just exactly the same. Maybe there's different styles with your from South Carolina or Michigan, but the same thing. They would rather work on their place than they would hunt or even fish and you know, hikes that yes, way. You know? Absolutely. I, Kevin, I think Kevin, that's a key. Kevin's same way. That's all he wants to talk about, you know. That's what he, he always talks to me about planting and hunting, and he loves it, but I like to give him a hard time because I'm like, bro, I just don't see many pictures of you on that tractor. And he's like, oh, I, I, I was on that tractor. And I'm like, but we like it. We like it. Like, I think when people always ask me about professional fishermen, they'll say, what separation, what's a common denominator when you get to the top 10 or 15 guys in the world? I said, if you sit all down at the table and talk to us, you're going to find out that every one of them are avid bow hunters, not just hunters, right. bow hunters. They want the hardest <clears throat> route they can take, and they strive and they live for the failure. That's what drives them. I was like, you just, you know, from Jason Christie, you look at him, you look at Van Dam, you just go down the list. Drew Benton's, all these guys hunt, man, and they're good at it. Well, I'll tell you what else isn't common from listening to y'all, too, is the, is the attention to detail. It's just kind of... It's not something you, you, y'all, I just talked to the group. It's not something y'all have had to make yourself do. It's just the way your DNA is already. And so it's like yeah. listening to you or Kevin or Hank, it's like you enjoy the fact that you tended to all the little details of have your place like you want to, you know, where a lot of people just want to blow through and do it and, you know, just kind of get on down the road and sit there and hunt and whatever. I mean, Y'all are meticulous about every little detail. And that's, I mean, you you know more about fishing. You know, you'll forget more than I'll ever know. But you don't get to where y'all have gotten without attention to detail what you're doing. And and the sweat equity of doing the things. Yes. Like when no one's looking. That's what I tell people, like, really makes a great fisherman is he's doing the work when nobody's looking. Right. When there's no cameras, yep. nobody's writing a story about him. He's in his shop prepping for the next day. It's the same with hunting. A guy that works on his farm by himself and really don't depend on a lot of people, he would rather fight it by himself and then enjoy it when it's done. He's paying attention to pick it up, like the stupid things, picking up the rocks that might break the, the, the seed drill. The guy that's cutting a new lane here, studying the wind, that guy is doing everything when no one's looking. And I think that's, to me, that's the cool part about land management. It's like, it's just me. 
you got to open. It's just like the good Lord just give you a plain easel to start painting. That's on. Exactly You're like, okay, right. I'm going to turn this track of land into a, a green field here. That, that whole master planning of that is fun. And when it all comes together, whether I'm sitting in a stand or it's my wife or a, a sponsor or somebody and they kill the deer, the satisfaction is still there that I created that spot. I made it happen. And you pay attention, like, just like you said, detail, detail, detail. Yeah. That's the attitude to have. And, so do you have a farm over there somewhere around where you live that you're that you're managing? Yeah, I actually my wife and I own three hundred and sixty acres right out uh we're about fifteen minutes from Smith Lake on the Jasper side by Duncan Bridge, but we lease another eight hundred that joins my three sixty. Wow. And I own another hundred and thirty acres about fifteen miles down the road, and then we own three hundred and four acres in Weekly County, Tennessee. But my farm hand that I hired a young kid, his uncle owns 2,500 that joins my 1,200. So we that's actually my, got a pretty good block that we manage. Case. And it's funny we're talking about details because I hired this young man a couple of months ago. And he's 30 years old, but he can run any piece of equipment like Toxie. If you ever need a dozer runner, this kid can run the tracks off one. Like he can. He is the best I've seen on anything. Wow. But getting him to slow down and those tiny details, when me and him are working together, he says, you're killing me. You're killing me. <laughs> And I tell him, I say, hey, son, if we're going to get up at daylight, we're going to do it right. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to half drag it around here. We're going to go get the drag. We're gonna, and that, now he's like, when he's with me, he goes, you're just going to slow down when it counts and do it right. Ain't you? I'm like, my daddy beat that in me. I mean, yeah. I don't know how. Uh, I, I mean, we. I mean, I wanted to say that when he's talking about details. I want to say my daddy had the knack about beating the details in you. I don't know how he done it. He could cure anything. You had the flu. He could beat it out of you. If you if you wasn't paying attention, he could beat it. If you had if you had attention deficit disorder, he could beat it back in you. I, you'll learn. So my daddy was that farm guy that paid attention to every detail, and he his motto was, "If we're going to do it, we're going to do it the best we can do it with what we got." And it's funny now to be I'm I'm only 52 and I'm working a kid that's 30 and I and he's a really good hand and that's hard to find. I mean I've went through some guys that want to work and they can't work. This kid can do a lot. But when it comes time, he wants to get in a hurry. When I come up here, there's dents all in my big butterfly, bat wing, bush hog, and my skid steers all tore in the back. And I looked at him. I said, did you wreck them all at one time? I mean, did you, yep. did you just hit everything? Yep. He says, well, I was in a hurry. Nope. I said, it's because you ain't paying for it. When you pay for it, you'll slow down and look behind you when you're backing up. Right. That's the one lesson I would tell The good ones always take their time and – or conscious of and you know, a guy like Greg, you know, he's been doing it forever. Yeah. He can get a lot done in a hurry, but they still, especially in farming, they take their time because not only will you tear stuff up, you probably won't do the best job with whatever you are you're doing. I see a lot of that uh, with folks ordering trees. Uh, it seems like yep. uh, when, you know, folks get interested in doing it, they want to just plant their whole place in trees. Right. And uh, usually they call back and said, I, I had about 20 or 30% survival. I hurried it, didn't protect this, that. Right. Then they start coming up with like a five-year plan and just doing a few trees a year. Yep. And that yep. seems to relate a lot to management in itself is, you know, you take the time to do it right and, and come up with a, a long-term game plan. Yep. Like paying attention to like the details and trying to work with my, my young boy working with me. It's, it, it's a simple stuff. Like if you're spraying. So we went in, we did our first round of bush hog and we're going to come back in and burn everything down and spray it. And I'm watching him and he's skipping gaps and he would get to the end of a field. He'd like one more pass and he'd be out and he'd want to go get more water, start on another side. I said, no, we, we don't do that. 
I said, overlap. I would rather you overlap yep. than skip a gap. And I said, I know nobody in the world is going to say that but me and you, but it bothers me that we did six acres and we left out a four foot strip down the middle. I'm like, I said, you got, so you watch him do that stuff. And it's just because whether it's a, a, a age group or just wanting to do it quicker, I, I like, and I'm guilty. Like I, I can work pretty fast, but most time when you get in a super big hurry, you tear up more than you fix yep. and just, you watch guys fill up feeders. My, my pet peeve is send somebody we filling up feeders and I say, hey, that feeder's going to hold 600 pounds. And he, he said, well, I didn't have a 400 and I left. We'll go back down there and put 200 more in it. I mean, I, I'm that OCD. Go back and fill it up. You know, don't quit. Because I, I tell him, I said, what you did, you got three quarters of the way of getting a really, really good job done and you quit. I said, you don't know when you're going to be back. So that extra 200 pounds may be the week that you got caught up somewhere else. That feeder still be running. So I, I watch all them little details. When we ride around now, he knows have batteries because you never know what camera you're going to go by. It might be dead. You never know what feeder you're going to go by. It might be dead. So like, I, but I don't, I, I think it's an age thing. Like I watch what you guys do in gamekeepers and how y'all it's, it's, it's weird because I think it's a maturity level because it's patience. You plant trees because you're patient. You don't plant an oak tree and, and expect to get acres on it next year. You're looking 20 years down the road. And I don't know sometimes that a 20 or 21 year old or 25 year old kid sees it that way. He wants to plant it this week and hunt off of it next week. So I think with gamekeepers, it's really like watching what you guys do. It's taught me to be more patient working the land because the land don't work overnight. You don't change it overnight. You put effort into it, you mold it, but you might have to, it might be 10 years before you get the reward on it. Yeah. Yeah. You get the instant satisfaction of, of doing something, but you kind of get that long term of watching it develop and mature. And uh, I, I think that is yep. highly well, rewarding. No question. Um, no question about that. Skipping details is I've made more mistakes, you know, and still do sometimes. And it's, 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 it's not as much getting in a hurry as just too many things pulling on you. Yeah. To finish, you know. Like yes. I'm sure that happens to you a lot. You, yep. you got a lot pulling yep. on you. And so. Well, the main thing is, if, you know, what is most important? Like everything in life, you have priorities. So be sure what is most important to you, what you think is to your place. You be sure you finish that to the nines and then work your way down. You know, so if you leave something off, it is the least of the importance. Yeah. So, uh, Gerald, look, we, we we got some questions to ask you, but one of the things I want to kind of start with is when you're looking at your property, what are some of the things you have enjoyed doing on your property that you think makes a big difference so that somebody that's listening, including us, can take and apply that to, to their own place? I, I would say without a shadow of a doubt, and my, my look, this little 360-acre farm is a prime example. When my wife and I bought it, it only had one driveway into the old farmhouse that was built in the fifties. So yeah, we remodeled it and it looks a lot nicer and that's satisfactory. But what it didn't have was any roads, no yep. infrastructure, no way to get around. If you could do one, if I could tell somebody, if you want to do one thing to your piece of property to add value to it and enjoyment, put quality roads in, put quality roads in. If you think it needs to be six foot wide, it needs to be 12 foot wide, mm -hmm. widen it up where you can drive around and bring your wife or your children or a guest and be able to look at the property and enjoy it. You don't want to just have 400 acres and say, well, that's it down there in the woods. It's pretty steep. We can't get to it, but I promise you it's pretty. Right. I think to me, just building the roads where I can ease around and see it and then come in on it. And some evenings it's as simple as my wife and I just want to get on a golf cart 
and, and, and you might want to get a cold pop and just ride down the road without beating yourself to death. So it took me a while to realize quality roads makes a quality experience. Then you can build good green fields. But like so many people just have the roughest road going into their place. And I'm like, you can't get good equipment in, but nobody wants to spend the time and effort. So to me, the biggest satisfaction I had after I'd done it was putting in quality roads. I think a, a big timber company would agree with you on that. I think a realtor would agree with you on that. No question. Uh, not only does it make it more accessible to be able to goof around and get your equipment in there, it, it I would say that it probably improves the value of. Oh no, uh, no question about that. I I think it helps the. In some cases, I it, um, you know I think turkey first on a lot of things. I think it helps your place for turkeys a ton. To have big, wide, open right-of-ways yep. going through it as opposed to, you know, a few little woods roads. I know yeah. I'm jumping in here, but access is everything. Yeah. <laughs> I know what y'all are talking about just by hearing you talk. That's right. Toxie may may agree with this. I made a comment to this young kid working for him, and we're working on another piece of property over here, and I said, dude, I said, let me tell you something. I said, anytime you want to buy a piece of property and try to sell it, I said, the number one thing I've learned if you're going to flip property is put in a good road. I said, because if a man can drive out here in his suburban with his wife, and drive down there and look at it and drive out and not beat that truck blue, I said, you're probably going to sell it. But if he has to pull up at the gate and say, honey, there it is, I said, you got to remember the wife's 50% of the decision on this. And I 50. said, build roads <laughs> if you're going to show it. Yeah, or maybe 80%. But you want them to be able to ride through the property and at least see it. And that's like so many times you pull up a piece of property for sale, and if you don't walk it, you have no idea. Which No doubt about it. If you're trying it. to get a steal on it, but if you're trying to flip it, Having quality roads where they can ride around it, even as a realtor, to show it, it's key. I tell you, we spend a lot of time looking at maps around here. And to your point, Gerald, you never know a place till you get your feet on the ground, you know, and actually get through it and, and walk it from center to turn. You never know. You can look at a map all you want to and topo lines and this there and there, but till you get on there and get access to it and get around it, it's uh, so I, I, I say first. My priorities been when people you know buy a rough piece of land. What do I do? What's most important? How do I? You know, and everybody, what everybody's going to enjoy it for is probably a little different. But for me, number one is the roads. Oh, yeah. Now, maybe you don't have to go all the way to your dream road system on day one, but the roads and the access come first. My second thing is actually, believe it or not, a fish pond. And my reason oh, for yeah. saying that is you don't have to have a really big place. I mean, if you have, uh, you know, and you don't have a really big place, you can you can have deer hunting, you can have turkeys, you can have whatever probably, depending on the where it's sitting ducks but you have a hard time sharing that with a lot of people <laughs> and so i mean you just can't there's not That's enough right. not you know a, so what i resource. my first thing is if you can have a good for one you can if you have a good fish pond today's biologist can help you you can guarantee the success i mean you go by their formula and it's guaranteed mm, right and you can let kids and friends you know in fact you need them to fish it to keep the you know, so to me, that's the first thing. My third thing is like some kind of place, and Bobby has something like that now. It's really cool. Is some place that the family can go spend a night. You know, on it. If you know, obviously, if you live there, that's different. But yeah, <laughs> Bobby has never spent the night on this place. No, I, I like him about this around. all the time. So yeah. those are the three things <laughs> to me before I even got involved. <laughs> the rest of it will come easy as far as crafting all the stuff for hunting and habitat. But roads, a pond. And a place to stay, you know, yep. that will give you more family enjoyment right there than anything. No I doubt think. about and it. And just a place to go get away from it I, all. And I would agree with Toxie 100% on a place to stay. And I, I'd go as far to say it doesn't even have to be fancy. No. When you first get no, a piece of land, 
dude, if you just want to convert a storage shed into a little two bed, like a little two bed cabin, that's right. It's still a fun night out. It's you can put a camper. You you could pour gravel and put a camper there. But what it also does it. It lets you spend more time there so you can get more done instead nah, of having to drive right. back does, and forth but you know, work. There's, there's something. That's just some simple place. There's something kind of spiritual about staying or spending a night or whatever on your place. Mm. You know, you're right. It could be, and it does not have to be anything fancy. There's something so cool about that. I mean, from the first day, I was still, you know, it was a while ago, but I still, you know, that first place was where oh, yeah. you know, our main place in That's Alabama right. is down there. Yeah. Now, and I still remember parking on the side of the road, walking out there and going out and grabbing a handful of dirt. I kept it for a while. I don't know where it happened to it. but That's mine. It just like, you know, just <laughs> like in the movie. There, nobody ever talks about what Toxie's talking about, like the satisfaction of staying there. Everybody talks to me about hunting and or the actual catching the process of the fish mm-hmm. or just killing of the deer. And I'm like, man, man if you just knew right. what the feeling was, if you, if you just bought a 10-acre plot of land or a 1,000-acre plot of land, I remember the first time my wife and I walked across our property. We started this project, what, 17, 18 years ago, and 16 years ago. We never shot a deer off of it for the first 12 years. How about that? Mm-hmm. We yep. didn't have any deer. Yep. Like, we, we, they just wasn't here. And we get, the I cut had. the first yeah. rows in with a chainsaw and a pole saw by myself. Oof. No tractor. So, like, this progress just kept going and going. And now we walked down through the other day holding hands, and, I, and we kind of smiled. I said, you know, we did this. That's so we, cool. We built this with our own two hands we also were able to earn a living doing something we love with my with my two hands and her helping me in the office and i'm like what a better feeling is to walk out across your piece of property that's what to me hunting is never talked about like they don't nobody take that feeling that's as good as walking up on a dead turkey or dead deer we did this we made a difference if i could give people one message from all that we do what what he just said what we're talking about would be that you know, you just literally don't want to miss, miss the forest for the trees. That's right. In life, because one thing about life, once it's gone, you know that's that was yesterday. You can't get it back. So don't waste your time caught up in the wrong thing. And if you have that, you know what makes him appreciate it too so much. He he carved it out from you know basically an acre on himself and together with his wife. So what a great experience. When you when it happens that way, you appreciate it more. But it, I don't. It doesn't matter whether you just already had a bunch of money and or inherited a big place. <clears throat> don't ever lose that. What Daniel say? Wonder that sense of wonderment, That's just right, like wonderment. we had as little kids. W U N D. It makes it makes life so worth the living. And look, yeah. I'm gonna tell you what, man. When you're out there yep. getting, you know, the more you put in, the more you get out. And doing the work yourself and and putting the time in is just so much more satisfying than. You know, just showing up and hunting. It just is. Yeah, somebody mentioned this earlier, and, and I got to thinking about it. Some of my best memories are like p- pole sawing uh, branches right. with my That's buddy right. Jack That's or, right. you know, whatever. It's not as much like that that hunt where we had those two gobblers come run. you know. Like no, it's all the work Some of those other memories are come yeah. back to you, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, that's what it's, it's been. I just can't see you but well, that's the, doing all that, Dudley. I'm, does he know That's what you don't see. You, I, I tell people, I'm like, you know, they say I want to get my kids to hunt and my wife, because they'll always ask me, how in the world did you get Lulu to start hunting? And I'm like, when we got married, she didn't hunt our fish. And the first time I took her hunting, I set her below my, a lock on, and I'm sky high, and I've got the pull-up rope tied to her finger, and she's covered up in a chair with some cane and a piece of blanket. And every time a deer would come, I'd pull up on that pull-up rope and let her know one was coming. She wasn't. <laughs> she she didn't even know she was going to like it. 
And now this is a woman that's got her own golf cart, two different bows, guns, AR-15s, thermal imaging, and she hunts by herself and she can kill them. But it was a process that we went through to get her there. So I tell but it, I tell you what sucked her into it was working. Like when she would come Mm -hmm. up here, we have two tractors. I remember one night I went down to check on her. We, we made our big green fields and we were, been working it was first year we plant them and she's running a rotor tiller and i'm going down there to check on her and it's after dark and i'm walking up on the field and she's got the lights on and i she don't realize she's singing that loud she got her earbuds in and she's singing some kenny chestnut like you would <laughs> i mean it's she's dark and i get her in the house like you can't even see nothing but the whites around her eyes she's so dusty and, and but it's like it lured her into what we were doing yeah, no and doubt then it become it. like a, a piece of life so now when our grandchildren is up here she says let's take the grandbaby so i want to when people got, when I see them go to the hunting list, so they how to get my wife or kids to hunt, take them with you when you're doing the work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let them start right. doing the work. Cause sometimes just riding a four wheeler in the mud before daddy hunts is funner in the summer than to hunt to a small kid. But like, I'm like you guys, my best memories are my dad carried me on his shoulders, That's like walking That's around right. working Yep. in the woods, like, boy, pull that limb down, do this. And I'm like, I just think that bloodline people forget it. They think it just you just put the mossy oak on on the opening day of deer season, go get in the stand, and you're a hunter. Oh, you're, oh, you're miss, a hunter year round. Missing the yeah, I mean, today's world, it's not just like being in a hunt club. Half the reason is just so you got a group of guys go do the work together. That's right. And you know, yep. Think about the memories you can make doing that instead of just showing up. So I mean, hey, look, we're for everybody. If you're the one that's just show up, that's fine too. But just want to point out some things that might make life a little bit more worth living. Yeah, look at the other side of it. <laughs> you know, it does make it more enjoyable. We know you're a deer hunter. Are you a turkey hunter as well? Waterfowl hunter? What else you do? Well, I'll be honest with you. Them ducks scare me because I can't, I can't separate them in there, and I'm always afraid I'm gonna shoot the wrong one. I'll be done shot some bandit, one legged pheasant from Argentina that's gonna get me in a federal prison. I'm like, I like <laughs> to shoot. I, I don't know, but I'm scared of that duck hunting. Them thing, but now turkey hunting, I enjoy going. My wife enjoys going. It's usually in the middle of our like when I kick off fishing. I'm I'm an okay caller. I'm not really a good turkey caller, but I'm a turkey chaser though. Now I I walk them all day with. I do. Her and I have been doing it more and more uh, since the first year we had COVID, when COVID hit. It was the first time we've ever got a turkey on the farm because it's first spring we've been off. But I do enjoy it. Uh, the the boy that hunts with me, some up here, another fisherman, Jesse Wiggins, he's a real good turkey hunter. He comes up here and hunts. But he says, quote, unquote, that I have the smart. He said, you've got more turkeys than any place I've ever hunted, and they're absolutely the smartest. He said, they're the hardest to kill turkey I've ever hunted in my life. Uh, they must, now, they must yeah, come I don't know if it's because I got too many. That sounded like an invitation. Well, did, I got did, it, did it not? <laughs> well, hey, hey, it's a challenge. It ain't an invitation. I will challenge somebody because hey, I will let you know. I, I'll show you where he roost. Jail. I will show you where he's going to be at noon <laughs> and at four, and he won't gobble. I, now, you can ambush him and kill him, uh, but you won't call him. They will not gobble when they hit the ground. Well, he, just, he just hadn't heard our yelping. Like, he, just, that. Like, he ain't waited long. Bobby. That's right. Bobby. Bobby. Okay. Tread, tread, oh, tread uh, well, you know, there, there's only one person in this room I've that made Merlin you. recognize yeah, them as true. a oh, here wild we go. turkey. So. Yeah, Mr. Yelp box over there. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I hit him with the TK and Mike, you know, the Kiki <laughs> Flucker. I mean, I hit him with everything. They don't gobble. Yeah. I love that Kiki Well, if they come off the roost. If you yelp at them yeah. the way you just talk all the time, you're probably yelping at them a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the boy I hunt with, Jesse, he don't call. Like, he's one of them guys that don't believe in calling much at all. He, you'll fall asleep. He probably him. do. He won't, like. He'll, he'll probably have better luck. He, he just says it. 
Yeah, he just says we got too many hens. He said, dude, I'm just telling you. He said, you got 30 or 40 hens we see every day on every different field. He said, you He said you can't hardly compete. So, like, That's right. that would mm-hmm. be a good education for me is, like, how do you separate when you got all them hens? You know, it gets tough. Like, what do you do as a beginner turkey hunter? Like, how do you separate the gobbler and get him to move? Yeah, I don't know. I think if anybody knew I mean, that I'm answer, up, right? <laughs> we, 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 we got some techniques. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, if you can grow that many turkeys on your place, you're obviously doing something right. That's right. Uh, yeah, you should have more gobblers. Can, or I've got them. May not have, I, you may have some bad neighbors. Uh, yeah. But uh, that's what it sounds like. Well, I kind of got that. Toxy summed it up. I found a four wheeler trail in there this year. I think it was a golf cart. And I'm 99% sure these boys have been snaking in their turkey hunting because I'm not home that much and mm-hmm. there's not a road in there. But what he don't realize is I have researched him, his children, his dogs. <laughs> there's more cell ca- – I got more stealth cameras. I hung two yesterday, 15 foot high. I towed his sticks in and was hanging cameras in trees. If he comes across there this year, he's done. He's done. But it I think that's documented. what's happening, Toxie. I think somebody shoots them. The opening weekend, they're in there where they roost and they shoot them up pretty good when I ain't here. And then when you come back, they just won't ever gobble. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a public broadcast. Uh, what's it called when you do the public announcement? Public announcement. Yeah. Yep. Public service. It, it, is, it is a PSA. He yeah, don't realize. It is a PSA I by Gerald. For you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yep, the best. The be, best. Be uh, warned. Well, you know, I mean, let's. I do let's, not like poachers. Uh, no. well, let's, let's stop and think about this I, just a I second. I frown upon the poaching. The, the poaching is a problem, and somebody like Gerald, who's going to a public tournament that, that that's announced he's going to be there, he's, he's going to be yeah. fishing. And, I mean, that's a that's a problem for someone like it. How do you go about poacher-proofing your property, Gerald? Caretaker. I had to hire somebody. That's why I hired that kid this year. And, and we, I mean, you made the best point. Like, that's what my wife's always says. She said, all these people around here follow you on every social channel. They know exactly where you're at. So in turkey season, when I'm in uh, Sam Rayburn in Texas, it's free run of the place, and they know it. I've almost called them twice when they didn't realize we were going to be home. So, like, I hired this kid, and half of his job is to make sure that doesn't happen again. And that's it would be no different, you know, if Toxie was on social on every channel, like, all the time, and people could follow, like, knew exactly where he was at. You ain't got to worry red about that. <laughs> yep. that. You know, right. Well, and it's good for him that he don't because if there's a redneck going with Toxie's in. He's in Illinois. We're hunting his place this weekend. And I, it's a really hard thing to combat well, because social yeah. shows your life. Sure. That can be tough. But I promise you, Toxie's always here. Yeah. Or there. Or there. He's here or there. That's He's for here sure. there. That's for sure. Yeah, that's got to be tough, though. Well, it, it really does. Well, so. It is. I'm going to catch him. I'm going to catch him. I'm pretty no much undefeated. going to catch him. <laughs> I'm undefeated. There you go. Gerald, I, 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 I caught a girl on the horse that looked like Janice Joplin. It just took one video. <laughs> when you get trail cam pictures of a girl wearing uh, tie-dyed pants, riding a horse all over your property, I'm like, it looked like Janice Joplin just got out of bed and started riding across my property. <laughs> wow. So it takes. But what the the negative about social and the positive is, as bad as it's on negative, it took one video that I made in Wailang. I knew exactly who it was. Huh. Interesting. So wow. it can be beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, it sure can. Wow. Well, I tell you that you know poachers are a big problem. We we, we talk about it all the time here, and and you you wonder you know 
just what's going on at your place when you're not there. But like we've got Spartan cell cams, and it's just it's pretty incredible what they can do and and how what you can see. But obviously, you can't see everything. And, and one of the topics we've always wanted to learn more about is what guys do to try to take care of their place or protect their place. And you're as high profile a person as we've ever had. And, yes, uh, when you're fishing these tournaments, everybody knows where you are for the most part. Hey, the best way to catch an outlaw is to hire a wannabe outlaw, and I did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hired a kid that, who's like me. He, My wife my wife tells me all the time, she said, you would rather hunt a poacher as a 200-inch deer. Do you realize that? I said, you're right. It is kind of and fun. And if he's out there, I will find him. And I was like, but it, that's what it takes when you work that hard. Like when you do all the planting and the fertilizing oh, yeah. and the work, that's and right. then you realize somebody's backdooring you and just running over you, it just pisses you off to the core. So I'm like, <laughs> I'll throw away half a hunting season, but I will catch you. And when I do, I will prosecute. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to prosecute you. So my, my farmham said, he said, when I catch you so bored down here, I'm going to say you got two options. I can beat you to death down here. You can go to jail. It's your choice. You take it. He said, either one of them is not going to be good. But like, and it, I don't know how it is in Mississippi, but in the state of Alabama, a game warden won't write a trespassing ticket. See, we can't call the game warden for trespassing unless they have a rifle and they've killed, uh, actually killed something. Hmm. But if he's just on your property, game warden won't write it. You have to call the sheriff's department. They'll issue, they'll do the arrest on him and issue the citation, and then you can prosecute him that way. But they, the game and fish told me, said, we, we can't get landowners to prosecute enough. We lose it. Like, we go do all the legwork. We write the citation, and then the landowner says, well, that's the – that's the neighbor's grandkids. I'm just going to let it go. He says, yeah. so we losing our resources, which is kind of sad that in a way that the game and fish won't come do it. But I understand if they're not making any money. So you having to bother the sheriff's department to come in. Yeah. Well, it's not that they're not making any money. They're, they're just losing money. Well, they're losing time that, because so. they're building cases right. and then they can't get them through the court system. Yeah. So it every, is. Every county is different. Right. Yeah. Every state, every county is different. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, well, what he's saying in Alabama is exactly in, right. In Mississippi, can that? Yeah, you can sign an affidavit. In Mississippi, because there's a game warden. Yeah, or you can sign a personal affidavit yourself that, that says you saw them on your property uh, and then take it to the court system that way if if the, the game wardens aren't there. So, so, right. so right. let, let me ask this. Yeah, that, but that that's the advantage, though, like what you guys are talking about with cell cameras. This has been the biggest breakthrough for poaching mm-hmm. because once you have the evidence – you know, it's hard to beat that. And with cell cameras now, even if they recognize the camera and try to take it down, it's usually too late. That's right. So the first thing the sheriff's office asks us, do you have a picture or a video? Because if you do, it's lights out. But if you just think you saw someone, it's a little tougher. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, along these same lines, uh, just recently in the last week or two, there's been some uh, – a, a walleye tournament up north where there was some, uh, I'm going to say, alleged oof. cheating yeah, that, that was allegedly. going on. Is that is that <laughs> rampant in some of these smaller bass fishing tournaments that you as you've kind of gone the through way, the that system? That was not a bass fishing tournament. That was it was walleye. walleye so. That's right. But uh, so the, some of these smaller tournaments, but, do you hear of that happening? Yes, sir, I, I do. And, and unfortunately, this is not going to be a popular comment to a lot of people. I see it at the highest levels a lot. It just gets washed under the rug or they won't pursue it down because of what the it, it would reflect on a league or a different trail. But, yes, it, 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 there were some high school kids caught in Texas a few months ago in, in a Tuesday night Wildcat tournament, and they were part of their high school fishing team and had been a really strong team mm. and got caught getting them out of a basket on a Tuesday night tournament for $300. So, like, 
I think as long as you have people competing and egos involved, cheating is going to come to play at some level. It's no different than a guy who wants to say he shot a 170. If he has to shoot him out of the window, his ego is so big, he's going to try it. So, like, unfortunately, yeah, we do see it. Now, to, at the level they done it, of putting eight pounds of weights in the fish, <laughs> first off, they only needed two extra pounds to win, so I called that overkill. I'm like, you should have looked up there. But like it, that was not that was really weird how they went that far over. Most of our guys will just fudge the rules here and there, go through the gray area, and it, it, I just think it's money. I think when money gets involved in egos, people do things that they later in life are going to regret. Mm-hmm. Sad. That's a shame. Yeah, sure. that really is. Really can you sad. can you tell us a, a a fun or funny or memorable story from one of your fishing or hunting exploits? So they they tell me you're really great at telling these stories. I, I, well, most of my stories, like when I when I go speak, people think it's going to be all this fame and fortune of fishing and traveling. I'm like, I said, it never looks it never looks on paper like you think it does. You see what the, the TV show looks like or the highlight reel looks like, but I said you don't see the behind the scenes like when no one's looking. Because I said you can stand on stage and make it sound like it was the best day in the world. And really, it's just you've been double-dipped and dog-pooped and rolled down a dirt road all day. Like, it's been a brutal day. I mean, I was fishing several years ago trying to make the Classic, and I was a lot younger then. And to make the Classic was worth about twenty-five dollars to $30,000 in bonuses, which at that time in my career was a lot. You know, I'm like, I was a house framer by trade. I made $10 an hour. Somebody says extra thirty grand, dude. that's like a year's pay. I'm all in. And I was at the last tournament of the year, and I had to catch them pretty good. I was like 25th in the points. I had to stay there. So day one, I go out, I come in, and I'm in 25th. I'm like right where I needed to be, and I make the classic. I got two more days. Well, I go out on day two, and I get to the ramp. And what had happened the night before is I ate. I went out to eat with a sponsor, and I'm not a big frou-frou. I'm a meat and taters kind of guy. Like, I don't get all off. Like, I don't run off. I stay in my lane, but that day I was hungry, so I dove in a bunch of this salad that looked like biologic. I don't know what it was, <laughs> but it, I shouldn't have ate it. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. So, like, at one, I was staying in a little hotel room called Pam's Last Resort at Hamilton Lake in Arkansas. And when I tell y'all it started thundering and lightning outside, I'm telling y'all, son, it was hitting. And I'm not talking about raining. I'm talking about my guts was tore up. I'm going, I mean, there ain't a piece of toilet paper left in this resort. I'm in the yellow pages and it's 3 a.m. in the morning. And that's the God's honest. I'm in the landscape and I'd made it to the ales. And I couldn't get off the commode. I'd never been so sick. And I got finally got the courage to get in the boat. I had to stop off at a bank parking lot in a region's bank. And I know somewhere <laughs> on security camera, they think Bigfoot got in that flower bed, but I'm in a barn. <laughs> so when I get to the ramp, I'm like, I got to do this. It's, it's all I got. I get down there and Trip Weldon says, hey, your partner today is going to be a lady named Mary, Miss Mary. And I'm like, oh, God, I, I, I got a lady and I got the tummy bubbles. Like, I... I mean, I got the chicken scoops. Like, I'm I'm in bad shape. I'm in bad shape. And I blast it off, and I'm running up the lake. And every wave I hit, I'm thinking, this, I'm going to black out. Like, I'm done. I can't I can't hold it in. And I can remember that morning. It was so quiet, guys. You, I'm like, literally, you could have heard a rat walking in high-top shoes in the grass. It was that quiet. Like, you could hear me breathing. And the fish are schooling out there. And this lady's sitting right behind me. She's got her camera. She's squatted down there. She's watching every move I'm making. The fish come up blowing up, and I grab that topwater bait, and I threw it as hard as I could. And when I hold that rod, when you get right here and I let go, I kind of relaxed. You know what I'm talking about? Like I just kind of relaxed for a second, like after the shot. Well, it sounded like two chickens up on the top of a barn, and they was just hitting every wall. Just, ah! I'm like, oh, Lord. 
and she's right there in the floor. And I'm like, I don't know how to tell this lady, but I, I, I have pooped all over myself. <laughs> and she, I, I turned around and I was like, I was like, Mary, I said, honey, I, I don't know how to tell you this, baby. I said, I, I, I pooed myself. And she said, you, you did what? I said, I pooed myself. I said, don't act like you didn't hear it. I said, it's rough. She said, are you sure? I said, ma'am, I'm sure. Okay. I promise you what's happened here. I'm out there. I don't know if y'all have ever been to Hamilton Lake in Arkansas. There ain't nowhere there. It ain't a million dollar mansion. So I find one loblolly pine and a rose bush that I got to get out on the bank, try to clean all this up, get back in that boat, try to get back out there and catch 10 pounds. And I did. I managed to catch 10 pounds and I managed to make the plastic. But I can remember weighing in that day in a rain suit with no drawers on. It was about 90 degrees. And on stage, they're thinking, boy, you've made your seventh classic. How good does this feel? But I'm just smiling like, man, it's just awesome. And I think in the back of my head, I'm going, I ain't got no drawers on. I done pooped myself today in the boat. So people always ask, like, is it always glitz and glamour? No, no. There's things that you'll never see. But those days happen, and my wife just laughs at me. She said the first seven years we was married, she said, I thought you just wore one sock. I had no idea. <laughs> she said, I just thought it was a trend. I'm like, no, no, I just – no, I left with two on, honey. But yet, if you never come down a live lollipop, that, that reminds me of what we always said about One turkey hunting. If you're on the good, if you're on the hunting good. club, we're all in a hunting club turkey hunting together, and you walking down the road and you look down and you see just one. Cotton glove laying on the yep. ground. Don't don't touch pick it. it up. Do not don't touch pick it. it up. Don't pick it <laughs> that up. That guy did not lose that buff. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that that t-shirt pocket wasn't torn off for an accident. That's right. <laughs> and if That's you get exactly to walking right. and you see a sock and you see a sleeve and then a front pocket of a t-shirt, either his wife can't cook or he been to Waffle House. So he's in a bind. <laughs> oh, oh man, good story. I'm just say it. I mean, is what it is. That's my life. <laughs> oh, God. You know what? I asked. Other than that, it's usually real. It's usually real serious stuff or real bad stuff happens to me and my wife. It's nothing ever just right down the middle. It's either something crazy or something really goofy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, look here. Well, tell tell us this. So we it, it's it's well publicized your fishing skills. You've qualified for the Bass Angler, uh, the Classic a number of times. You've been Angler of the Year. A number of times you're just a very celebrated angler but how did you get interested in deer hunting and can you tell us the story of your first buck oh absolutely uh my dad hunted my dad hunted and fished my dad actually was a trap for the state of mississippi we i was actually for seven uh seven and a half years of my life we lived right down on the reservoir at jackson mississippi my daddy trapped for the game of fish and he hunted in a dog hunting club, which that's what people done back in yep. is run dogs. Yep. Right. So I kind of been around it, that hunting, fishing and whole deal. And then once we moved to Alabama, my, we, we lost pretty much everything we had in a recession. And when, and then next thing you know, we just didn't hardly have a boat or nothing. And, and my dad just give up hunting because he sold all of his guns to try to raise the three kids. And that, so it was like, once I got out of high school, I kind of started picking up bow hunting a little bit, but, my dad wasn't a bow hunter. He was a gun hunter. And it was so new to me. God, the first three or four years I hunted with a boy that his dad hunted. We knew just enough to be deadly, like deadly dangerous to each other. We shot over and under, like didn't have a range finder. I didn't have binoculars. I didn't have nothing. And I, I can remember like how hard I worked at that, trying to learn it to the first time when I actually killed a pretty decent eight point with a bow. That, that rush that day, I knew like it's, it's done. I, it's done. I knew the day that I let that air go and that deer fell, I'm like, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. I don't necessarily have to have a camera with me. I don't have to have nobody with me. This was the ultimate joy. And 
I always tell my wife that story about when that air leaves just right and you hear that deer fall, like there's something about it. And the first buck she ever killed with a bow scored 154 in Illinois. She was by herself. Come on. Yeah. Oh, oh, trust me. Trust me. She doesn't kill no hog nasty. And she kept telling me, she said, he's got kickers all off his toes. And I'm like, I ain't got no picture, no deer with no kickers off his toes. Oh, he had them. They was everywhere. But like, when I got to her, she still couldn't hardly walk. She was shaking and trembling. She couldn't get down the ladder. She just tore up. And I, and I, she said, I know why you never can stop this now. Like That's that right. bow adrenaline. And she's rifle hunting, but there's nothing like bow hunting. There's nothing like watching that arrow leave that bow and knowing it's a good shot. I, I just like the first time I ever did it, I'm like, this is it. Probably 21 when I killed 21 or 22 when I feel, actually actually killed a buck, a, a decent buck with a bow. Yeah. I'd had some encounters, but a lot of misses. Of course, you know, a guy didn't even have a range finder. I had one tree stand and some nails and pegs I'd put in a tree. I mean, it, no safety belt. I didn't have a clue. I mean, I really didn't have a clue. I would climb limbs. I mean, I, I think how dumb I was. I never even had a safety belt to after I got married. Once I got married, I was like, man, I can't do that anymore. I got to be responsible. So like that first five or six years was just trial or error. And so when her and I hunt together now, she'll say, how do you know not to do that? I said, well, I, you got a little while because I could tell you about 15 deer that I missed doing that same thing. So maybe trial and error is the best way to learn. Yeah, I think it, I think it does make a it burns it into your mind. Well, that's speaking for sure. of that, I always people ask me, "How'd you learn that? How'd you learn this? How'd you learn?" That? I said, "Let me just tell you something. If you <laughs> walk up there and put your hand on a red hot stove enough times, you'll finally stop." You know. And yep, yeah, bow hunting, you really do have to learn from your mistakes, yes. like yeah. when to draw back, all that good stuff. Oh yeah. Yes. Hmm. That's exactly why Leanne hunts by herself. She hunted with me for a while, and I finally told her, I said, baby, I need you to sit by yourself. And she said, but I don't think I'm ready. I said, you're never going to think you're ready. Right. But I yep. said, I need you to screw up a bunch, and you'll learn it a lot quicker. And, dude, the first day, she got skinned up bad by a deer she wanted to kill so bad, and he caught her drawing. So yep. then she went through this whole thing, like, when he's looking and I'm drawing, and you have to explain to her, once you commit to drawing, draw. So then I try to explain to her, when you start drawing, if he turns and looks, you got about two seconds to, to anchor in. She's like, how do you know this? Well, I'm like, Toxie, if, you, if you've done and screwed yeah. it up as much as I have, you'll yeah. know that once you, yeah. you can't let it back down. So, like, after she hunted for a year or two by herself, you be, she's pretty savvy about when to draw, when not to draw, when to shoot. And then now working with her on long-distance shots when she's shooting, like where the deer, I always tell her where the deer's head needs to be if she's going to shoot a long ways. But – I would have never learned that had I not sat in a tree and failed so much. There's no way somebody, my dad, somebody could sit and told me that, and I'd have been too prideful or too stupid to listen. I had to screw it up myself to remember it. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm looking around the table. Everybody's, uh, I can tell everybody's really enjoying this. Nodding. It, it, so, so, Gerald, what about, so again, I want to go back and make sure our listeners learn something here. On your farm, when you're, are there things that you do that you think specifically make certain areas be a better bow hunting area, or do you go in there and go, I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z, or is there something like that you do? I I kind of come in, and my original game plan when I started laying my place out was to plant two big food plots. Like I thought to house enough deer. I think when most people they want to have a lot of deer, but they don't have enough food or bedding mm-hmm. area. Or resources so the first two fields i built one was seven acres and one was six acres we had to cut the pines dig them out and then i started putting in smaller plots around it but i keep a lot of bedding areas where timber's been thin and i'll leave it rough and then uh you know owning a skid steer and a mulcher i can cut lanes but i keep 
honestly, I try to keep as much stick stuff as I can around some of these smaller fields, and I use my big fields. We don't. I don't hardly ever let anybody bow hunt my two big fields, and I, I have never let anybody fire a rifle over a green field that wasn't a buck. There's never been a doe shot off one of my green fields, nor will there ever be. So we bow hunt, but like on my big fields, it's my sanctuary that I'll have 20 or 25 deer on an evening. I just don't let people bow hunt them to booger them up because I figure if you keep that many deer in the center of your property and put your small fields around them where you can set up to bow hunt, uh, I think bedding area is key and you can never have enough food. When people think, when they say, oh, that, that you know, the instructions say put 25 pounds on this quarter of an acre. No, no, my instruction says put 125 pounds because I anticipate being some deer here. So like they will eat you out of house and home. It might look good in October, but where are you going to be at in January when all your food's gone? So like, don't start with deer in October and lose them in January because you didn't prep enough. So I think for me, bow hunting on my place is, of course, they legalized baiting in Alabama uh, several years ago. My wife says, this is going to be like shooting fish in a barrel. I'm going to kill every buck on this property one year into it. She goes, right, this sucks. This sucks. I'd rather just go back on them off acre trees. I said, because they know you're there. But you could set up bait stations and hunt the perimeter of them. We don't hunt on top of them. Like I, my closest bait shot, if I'm hunting around a feeder, would be 35 or 40 yards. You know, and I tell people, if you're going to bow hunt, you're sitting right on top of it. You can't move. There is zero room for error. And then if I have a good station, I'll put a stand up for all four wind directions. I'm that weird guy. Like if I've got a deer that I know traditionally gets in this draw every December, I'll have one lock on in there that I feed all year that'll have four stands on every corner. So when he gets in there, I don't have to wait on the right, right wind to get in the right tree. If I can get a marginal wind, you can kill him. But bow hunters need more cover and more food. Yeah, People that, think you need to be able to see a long way bow hunting. That's, that's overrated. Yeah, you, you really don't. And four times the patience that you think. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, yes. he's, he's right. Cause I mean, how'd you get that? for lack of a better word, anal about all those details. You know who else is actually the most anal bow hunter I've ever known, and I know thousands, Mark Drew. Mm -hmm. And what is his track record like? Oh, yeah. I mean, he is so over the top about every detail. Of I mean, he is likely hunting out of stands. He hung six months before he's even in there. And won't – I mean, yep. I can remember him waiting for two months – for the conditions to be able to hunt a deer and stuff like that. So, you know, it's kind of like the red hot stove thing. If you've screwed it up enough times, you'll just learn you can't blow in there. And I, our deer, I don't know. I mean, we always talk about, you know, kind of our ego here is like, oh, you ought to try to hunt our deer. Well, they are. It's tough, just like you, over there with you. Alabama's the same way. Well, after a while, you know, what's the old saying about uh, insanity? You know, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. <laughs> well, after years insane. and years of yep. knowing they're there and never having a chance or a shot or something, you realize you've got to go to that level of detail because I firmly believe it, and I, it's not an exact number, but like every every time a, a mature deer, especially, knows you've been in there, I'm going to say it cuts your chances of having a shot at him in half. Well, two or three times and you're done. You know, that chance is like one out of nothing just about by then. Yeah. So it's just so, you know, and that's, that is the one thing it is aggravating when you have other people that don't hunt that way. 
And turkeys are, are similar. You know, they seem to be harder to hunt in the southeast. Yeah. But same. In the, yeah, they are. They are, but at least uh, they, but, have, they know, announce themselves. Deer, and, we have such a long season in, yeah. in all of these southeastern states. Uh, you know, may, you may be able to get away with hunting over a feeder or over a big field and shooting once, but our seasons are so long. Right. The pressure is just so important around well, there. The, yeah. the great equalizer on deer has become a, the camera. So yeah, that's That right. has become the great equalizer where you right. can, can be there and not be there. The ultimate scouter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. No, that's tremendously. That's 100%. Yep. I was going to add something to what Toxie was saying right there. One of the mistakes that I see made when you ask me about bow hunting my place that I see people make is they'll set their property up or they'll set uh, their lease up and they'll bait. They have permission. They can bait and they just do some random baiting. They just walk out and say, let's just throw a bunch of corn on the ground and put a camera up. I'm like, why? Because if you're not ready to kill him here, don't put nothing out. You know, I, I'm a firm believer that when I get ready to bait, I may study two or three hours and, and know the place very well, but still go down there and study two or three hours before I put corn out. And I'm going to, I, I kind of keep a chart of what my, my, dominant winds are in the month of december when they're in the rut so like i set up for that wind in december i find the tree that i think is right and then i'll feed in the direction i need that and i I think people overlook that even setting our fields up around here we went in and we run a dozer we set those fields up to hunt our dominant wind it's not any good in october but when the deer really on their feet in december the winds will be right for those fields so if you can bait don't just go throw it on the ground and say, hey, if we get a big one, we'll come in here and hunt. Well, where are you going to hunt? Have you picked a tree out? You got plenty of cover? You got a backdrop? You're going to be silhouetted? Which way is the wind? How are you going to get in here? So, like, I ask people that when you do it. I'm like, think all that through before you ever put the corn on the ground because you never know when he's going to show up and you're not ready. Well, especially, like, you're looking at something now. You need to think about what it's going to look like in December or even January, you know, wherever that, when that, that rut is. And boy, there's nothing like a good old a good old eastern red cedar somewhere up hugged up against a tree somewhere. But you yeah. know, or even with a, a bushy looking pine or something, but or triple budded trees, stuff like that is so hard to hide from these deer in the middle of the winter. Mm-hmm. So you got you gotta you know, you gotta think ahead. What's it gonna look like then, you know? Dudley, you had a question? Yeah, we uh we had a podcast last week about feeding with Dan Moultrie and we were talking about tips and things and uh, I was watching your YouTube page, and you had a recent tip about uh, in, increasing buck activity just based on your personal observation, and you did some rigging. Can you explain that? Uh, yes, sir. I, I like to set my sling feeders a little higher than most because uh, you'll hear a lot of guys, as the, the argument is, like, can you get a mature buck under a sling feeder? And I'm like, hey, there's two or three things you got to remember. If you, that deer has been raised on a sling feeder from a fawn at four and five years old, he's going to be more apt to come under. Can I go on a, just a random piece of property sometime and make a five-year-old get under a sling feeder? It's really tough, but if you do it, you're going to do it at a higher level. So I put my legs on all my sling feeders are 10 foot tall and I spread them out. It's a little bit more aggravating to feel because you had to get on top of a buggy. But in my experience and what we've killed off this property, we've killed all of our big deer off a sling feeder and they're usually way up in the air. It keeps the deer from being able to spin the plate and eat it, you know, when it's lower. Yes. And then we use that same scenario, like when we feed, what we was talking about, that detail, we have strict instructions. When you feed at my farm, everybody's got a bottle of Happy Herd, and I keep that ca- caramel apple Happy Herd. It's in everything we own. 
and I spread all my boots every time I feed from September and May. Like whenever I go in, I want to smell that caramel apple. So I want that deer to think every time. And I'll put that, that happy herd, I'll actually spread all down in the sling feeder on the walls and let it, that fragrance come out every time. So therefore, when I go in to hunt, well, naturally, I'm covered in happy herd. So I'm trying to become what the deer is wanting to eat because I, I'm that weird guy that says no matter what you do, you're not going to fool a mature whitetail's nose. You're just There's no such way to, to, to make yourself disappear. You can get close and you can do a lot of details, but you can overload his sense where he can't separate what you are. But if you smell like what he's been eating the first time you hunt him, I promise you he's going to be a lot more relaxed. So like the higher, the, the higher you make the legs – and get the feeder off the ground, it actually lets the corn sling out further and the big deer don't have to get right up under it. Those short feeders, you'll get that corn right up under them. They'll say, well, he, he may be way on the outside of the feeder. He's not going to come right up under it when that thing's right over his head. He just, not, they won't do it here. I'm sure in other places they will. But in Alabama, a fawn comes out looking up. When they hit the ground, the fawn lands on his back and he's looking up in the lob lobby for somebody sitting there. They looking up. So you just can't <laughs> hardly do it. You got to get higher. The higher the feeder, now, I don't know if it's been any of y'all's experience, but it's been lights out for us. Yeah. Well, that was neat watching you chop the legs and retrofit them. And, my, you know, simple process that anybody can we, do. We did that. We, we've we had one feeder, and we shot a 130-inch eight-point off of it two years ago, which is not a giant eight-point, but it's a legit 130. Yeah. But it was a six-year-old. We sent him off as a six-year-old deer. The same boy, Jesse, shot a deer out of last year. It was an eight-point with two kickers, and deer scored 141. Dude, that's a big eight when you have a that's score to put them on the wall. Really? Yeah. Come on now. Everybody throws – you hear guys throw that number around. They're like, oh, I shot a 140. No, no, you didn't. Then you didn't catch an eight-pounder. You caught a four-pounder. <laughs> but, you know, I said, when you talk about it, when an eight-point gets to be 140, he's, he's got 12 or 13-inch twos. He's got 25-inch beans. He's got good brows. So, like, every big deer – and nice. we've got another deer what this year call? under that same feeder already that's about 23 inches wide with a big drop time. Wow. And Jesse just looks at me. He said, there ain't no way that that one feeder, they just, I said, dude, I'm telling you, it, it stays there year round. So I think that does help. That's no doubt about that. And then that. we set that time off and you just, the consistency of the corn and the smell, they just get used to it. It's not, it's not a big, I don't think it alarms them like just going in. If you put a sling feeder up during the season, you're done. That's, that's like fishing with rotten line. If you go in there in December and say, I'm going to put a sling feeder up, you might as well not even go back the rest of the year. Good point. That's a great point. Manny, you got a question? An uh, observation? or th- I'm or, just enjoying Can you tell us where Joe. you've been the last, uh, why, yeah, why you well, were you late? Know, uh, the old gamekeeper is running to some binds every night. Toxie, by the way, your <coughs> tractor tire's got a hole in it. <coughs> but uh, nonetheless, we worked on getting that fixed. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting a bad growl over here. <laughs> yeah, because it's like. <laughs> but we got it. Which, we're rolling which, again. Which tractor? 6115. That's what I was scared. Mm-hmm. But. What'd you run over? I didn't. I wasn't operating. I was oh. just. I just happened to have. Oh. Yeah. I wasn't operating. I know. I just happened to have the air compressor. Mm. So, but front, yeah, front, you we're out there. Just the, awesome. We got. Gerald knows what the next big question is. Because sixty-one fifteen is a pretty good yes. size tractor. Front tire or back tire? Oh my goodness. Yep. I, I just looked at <laughs> yeah. him and he knew. Wow, yeah. I hope you have good insurance. Yeah, uh, yeah I think we do. <laughs> I remember having to buy one of those little tires for my. They got some slime you can borrow there. Uh, oh my ticket. gosh! I, I was not mm. operating. If it makes, we're gonna be running a sale. <laughs> Gerald, Gerald, have you got anything Toxic? else to add? 
Man, I, I don't know. I'm sitting here thinking. I'm talking talk about all my crazy deer seekers to some of the best deer hunters in the world. So like, it's no. kind of weird telling well, that. Well, uh, what about but, your, you know? What about your Sendero you've been working on? Sombrero. sombrero. Well, let me tell you how this sombrero is coming. This sombrero's come about. We re- we leased 480 acres that joins mine, and we went over there, and it's just rough. So as this paper company land, they got two roads in, and you couldn't hardly get a dog down one of them. So we have to build the roads in there and get all the way in there. I mean, it's rough. Like you, a fox can't hardly get down it. So we cut, we we skid steer, and we finally get in there. And Jesse's looking at me, he said, "Where are we going to hunt?" I said, "We about to create it." So and I said, "We got on that hill, we got topo, we looked at everything." I said, "I'm about to make us some." trails right down there and i went all the way down there on two or three and come back and had this long trail there i said what do you think about that and he said that's got to be the prettiest sombrero i've ever seen <laughs> and i looked at him i said sombrero or sendero he said yeah that too i yeah. said okay from now on we're cutting sombreros <laughs> i said it's been our running joke every time i run it he said you're gonna build them sombreros and i to me, I think that's the best way to see deer in thickets is those oh, long, no question. you know, no make them 20 foot wide. I'm a big fan in our world of yeah. hunt the thick stuff. And that's, yeah. yeah I know people that are very successful, and they're and they they're even, even there, they're very, very conscious of, like, you know, the stuff the deer are used to, be sure where the wind's blowing from, be sure you can get to it without spooking stuff. But those little you know, they're just not going to be out in the open, but where they're in cover and they've just got a little short something to cross, they're comfortable with it so mm-hmm. much more. So, yeah, the spindle effect. Yeah, the spindle. Yeah. Hub we and have spoke. A, we have Hub a, and spoke. Yeah. been working on those all We way. have a place called the spindle field. Yes, you, you, yes, know, you do. one of our best yes, places. Toxie, what do y'all use when y'all cutting lanes like that from, from a hunter standpoint? Because I've tried about everything, and I've well, fortunate I mean, enough that I've, I've got a high flow skid steer and i've got cutters and i got a mulcher but i think the mulcher the big my takatsu mulching head is the like really works good on making those but i kind of like know what y'all use i honestly in most cases will use a dozer Mm -hmm. it depends on what it looks like if it's a bunch of switches you don't want to be pushing a d5 through there so i mean yeah the the cutter we've got we just actually we we just yeah and we just actually have a great sponsor company that makes cutting Mm -hmm. heads too Yeah, yeah Uh, it, it, and that's FAE. Which cutting head do y'all use? I, yeah. I'm curious. Yes, the FAE. They're uh, uh, it's a farm FAE. and ag yeah, and equipment. Yeah, FAE. The, the farm and ag equipment. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, that's you know, it. that that okay. it leaves a bed of just like mulch, you know, behind, and they they work really fast. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, you don't have to have has high flow form, but yeah, the typically the you know whether it's cat, John Deere, Kubota, whoever. Uh, you want the highest flow hydraulics in that. And they are so versatile for so many things. But, you know, in some cases you might want to cut something where, you know, it gets pretty hard on them if you're trying to cut too big a tree too. So it just depends on uh, yeah. what well, you're trying what... to cut. If it's just brush, small brush, no doubt the cutting head's the best, fastest, easiest, you know. We even yeah. in a couple And the places, dozer is like when you get bigger. We Yeah. That's my favorite Tonka toy. Yeah, yeah, I just think like with a dozer, nice. when you when, when you drop a dozer in there, if you don't have a good operator, you pull so much of your topsoil. The That's guy right. that goes nope. and make them has to really know what he's doing. He can't right. just drop the blade nope. and say, "I'm just gonna go plowing," because you'll build a you'll nope. build a fence that they won't never get through. No, but when you That's get right. through with it, because I'm I'm not That's gonna like do that. You, I'm not gonna move any topsoil when I'm doing it. But I'm gonna flip those out and out of the way. And in a lot of cases, if it's brushy, that means you don't have tall timber there it'll grow something too. So you make it just a little wider 
if you're using a dozer, flip it out of the way when you smooth it up. Unless you, you know, if you're just move, moving, you know, smaller trees, you don't have to get rid of the dirt. In fact, you can you can flip it up and roll it around and probably knock most of the dirt off of it before you push it out of the way. But when I'm done, you actually have a lane you can plant. So mm-hmm. those spindle spokes that you can plant something down are really deadly. So yeah. how wide you just got to go? Thirty foot. No, 60 foot? no, yeah. it's like just slowing. Well, if it's facing south, you don't have to have as much as if it's facing right. east and west because right. it's going to get more, more sun. sun. So and, it's uh, just about getting sun, you know. Nowadays, you don't really have to own any of that equipment. There's so no, many, yeah. nice. so many yeah. good operators around that, yeah. that you can split with your buddies yeah. and hire somebody out. One seventy-five uh, an hour, you can get a yeah. guy to mulch. What yeah. are you? Vandy's bringing in. So snacks. we just, uh, uh, Gerald. I'm sorry. You, you Gerald, can probably see the backside snacks. of Vandy here. Yeah. But, We're not uh, on live TV, so I'm gonna say bring like it in. There's some kind of treat being. I know passed what it around. is because Dudley did it. <laughs> Dudley <laughs> made it. Ooh, it smells. It's, where's? Uh, We're good. gonna Where's freeze some and send it to you, Gerald. Is that persimmon ice cream? No, it's, I think it's different. Pawpaw. Pawpaw. Yeah. Wow. So pawpaw ice cream. Pawpaw ice cream. Have you ever had any pawpaw ice cream, Gerald? Gerald, you have never happened, but I'm gonna go ahead and tell you. You have. I know this is rude. I'm sorry. That was ugly, wasn't it? That really is good. Is it, have you tried it yet? I'm just gonna say that y'all eating that ice cream. That's the kind of stuff that makes some tree stand steps pop when you get on them in the morning. Right there. You just keep eating that in that first two steps. It's gonna wow. sound like limbs breaking. It. I mean, Dudley, it, it, it may call. Man. Hey, Gerald, it may cause that other problem you had in the bass tournament that time. <laughs> yes, you look like one of them. Hey, you look like a fox squirrel coming down a lob lolly. Two of them fighting all the way down, just beating up the bark and brash to the ground. Wow, Dudley, you might have missed your calling, buddy. Well, uh, yeah, we collected good. a bunch of pawpaw. You know, we got the tree nursery, and uh, okay, we saved the pulp. And uh, yeah, this is just a standard non uh, custard ice cream recipe. You can really taste the pawpaw in it. And yeah, we can. just put a couple of cups of pawpaw pulp in it that I had frozen. Mm. So it's pretty good. It's yeah. delicious. Wow, that was a great idea. Like wow. Hey, hey, Gerald, I wanted to. Uh, mm. Ask you a question. I saw a video. Actually, I sent it to you a few weeks ago where you were planting food plots in the rain. You were doing some mulching. You were working by yourself, and you were talking about how hard it is to get anybody to help you during uh, when the hard work was going on, but everybody wants to go deer hunting. Gerald, if I would have just known where you were coming from, I'd have got in the truck and rode over there to help you because I'd rather work on the place than hunt. Seriously. But Bobby just sent me that, but no explanation. Well, I tell you, so the yep. old, hey, I was that, that video got almost a, almost a million views on TikTok, and I'm just I actually said it kind of rude because I said this is a I said everybody wants to be a deer hunter till it comes time to do deer hunting kind of <laughs> and nobody wants to show up. I'm like, <laughs> that's, right. that's what makes me mad. I'm like nobody shows up, but come December. I've got Everybody my camo, and I've got my rifle. Hey, let me tell I'm you, like though, slot, bro. you know what? I've gotten where I don't mind that as much because it makes it a lot easier to say no when they ask, mm-hmm. when nobody it will help. Does, and I would rather work by myself sometime versus trying to tell yep. somebody how to do it. So my wife says, she said, you're the guy that you kind of get frustrated because you don't have any help. She said, when you get help, you still do it by yourself anyway. Yep. She said, I don't I know what you that She said, I make her help me. She said the other day, she said, hey, you're going to have to get another hunting buddy. Because she said, I'm tired of lifting these corn bags. <laughs> but <laughs> it's part of it. But that it's funny how those hunting videos and sometimes those like, TikTok stuff just goes viral. Like, I, I 
trying to figure the algorithm and when one of those are going to hit. You know, I had one last October that I did uh, about a girl in a Dollar General, and I, I just was trying to tell the story about what I almost did wrong. And I'm just sitting in my truck, and I had no idea that how viral it was going to go. And I posted it, and like two or three weeks later, Dollar General's calling, uh, reached out to my wife through an email, and then Mountain Dew, and then Fox News played it, and then it was on a, in a ladies' magazine, and then it just, I think it ended up like 35 million views. And Good I'm like, great. but what I what I told the lady, what I thought was ironic, it was like the second or third, third largest uh, women's magazine in the country, and she called to interview me about me talking about this young lady. And the premises was I was I was actually putting out cell cameras, guys, and I needed some cards and some batteries, and I was in a little noise. Of course, I'm like Toxie. I'm racing the clock. You know, I've got, I'm here for 11 hours. i got to take 16 hours worth of work, and I'm trying to get back out there and do it. And there was an old lady in front of me, I'm going to say late 80s, maybe 90s, and she was real slow and talking, and the girl behind the cash register handled her like an angel. She just, she talked to her. She listened to every word. She smiled to her. And she looked over the lady's shoulder. She could see me waiting in line. And I'll be honest, at first, I'm getting impatient, you know, because at that time, I got my head in my butt, and it's just me and deer hunting and working. And then I kind of got caught up in the moment. I thought, man, I hope I raise my daughter to be with this young lady as behind the counter because mm-hmm. she's listened to every word. She's never lost her patience. So I made the video reflecting on how bad I almost acted to how I wish my daughter was raised that way so when this lady called me, she said this video, of course, Dollar General ended up uh, giving this lady <coughs> uh, a college scholarship donation to give away. It really, it, it, it took off big. So the lady from the magazine asked me, I said, lady, I said, I want to ask you a question. I said, this is what, like, one of the biggest women's publications out there. And I said, you do realize you're interviewing a guy that made a video wearing a mossy oak hat and a hunting shirt. I said, how weird is that? You got the biggest redneck wearing camo in a women's magazine. I said, see? I told her, I said, all hunters ain't bad, are they? She said, no. She said, if they all were like this, it'd be different. But I think it showed me, though, how powerful social media can be and that you're still making a difference even when you don't think you're making a difference. You know? yep. Like, And even wearing that camo, you realize people put camo on sometimes for two or three reasons. I think it's a, it's a fashion statement. It's a, oh, it's what I do. It's you, you're telling your buddies I hunt. But you also don't realize when you put that camo on, no matter what pattern it is, I don't, I, you know, if you, whatever it is, you're representing hunters from around the world, outdoorsmen to some level. So there's some type of responsibility that we overlook that you don't realize you could change the perspective of how somebody sees a hunter. And it was such an outing experience to me to think, okay, you just did a two-minute video, it was crazy stupid, and now it's on Fox News. And and I think, to me, it realized how powerful hunters can be sometimes when they don't even have a bow or a gun or nothing in their hand, Mm -hmm. that you really show who you are like this is and i told the lady i said lady i'm no different than most hunters you see in camo in illinois or southern kentucky they're just good old boys i said i just happened to be a one with a social media following that almost was a prick that realized it and thought my daddy will beat the brakes off me if i say something out of line and he's 79 years old and i made a video about it so like it was a that social media and when this stuff's going to hit, who knows? But the TikTok world, that's where it's at, guys. The tick and the talk. Like Mac, Mac, you play yeah. that tick and talk. It's all tick about and the talk. The tick and the talk. You know, that may you be the most that, that may be the most meaningful thing that anybody has said on this podcast and all the times that we've been doing yep. it. When yep. you talk about putting on camo, no matter what, it well. what, what it pattern well. it is, so, you're you a know, representing hunters. Uh, y'all have heard me talk about it about a couple, two years ago maybe. If they had last time and I and I spoke at the 
that big crowd at the NWTF. I forgot we got that conservation award. But anyway, I was like, you know, when I've said this on the podcast one time, but he, he hit the same exact thing with this. It's like you look at the news, you get around in the world. I mean, that's another thing that love I love to get out and be on my place, you know, because it's just me and all the stuff God made. And, I mean, it's just a piece like nothing else. And But you, I worry about the world. You know, Diane says I watch too much. Worry about stuff I can't do anything about. It's just so sad how the world is. And I look out there at something like the NWTF, or, you know, he's talking about hunters and all. It's in it, honestly, I'm not, this is no, no ego involved in this statement at all. It's the best people in the world, mm-hmm. largely. I mean, we got some like scallywags too, but uh, the best people, yeah, it's the best people in the world. And I was like, makes me so sad. What can we do? Well, it's like one thing we can do. All of us go home. That's what I said. We don't know four or five thousand people at the time, and be a good example. Mm-hmm. And he just nailed it when he what he said. That's right. We can be a good example. And you know what? Just him being a good example is more influential than any of us probably because of that following. But still, what's really powerful is all of us being a good example and also helping everybody recognize the value in life of spending time outdoors. Because it's just the truth. That's right. Yeah. No I agree. Big time. Amen. Wow. <laughs> Gerald, that, that was awesome. I'm that glad was you told awesome. that. That was awesome. It, uh, that really, look, along those it lines. Just, it all spun up. Well, look, along those lines, when we have a guest, we like to learn a little bit more oh, about here it. here we go. And so we have, we, at this point all in the right. show, we kind of give it over to Dudley, and he comes up with, uh, we call this rapid fire, and it's brought to you by our friends at uh, Springfield Army. Here. And uh, it, it, it's okay. so we we ask you some questions and the, you need to answer them as fast as you can. So he'll give you a couple okay. options. So give you two options question. and you pick one or say. Hey, neither. Gerald, when you get done with this, I'm gonna be have to to uh, might get my sombrero out of here. Toxie's got uh, he's I've got, got a, karate got lessons yeah. if I'm not mistaken. No, judo, judo lessons. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'll uh, but I appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you. And if you'll send me the Coxie, thanks for everything. Buddy. If you'll send uh, Google, actually, I, I prefer on X to Google Earth. If you'll send a couple of pins where those tall feeders are, we'll uh, we'll be right on over. Are hey, those turkeys? The, those turkeys. Hey, I'll to... put you in one, son. I'm not afraid to let a guy kill them because I ain't awesome. got time to kill them. At least I know you worked on somebody's property. You worked on your own. Yeah, that's right. You got it. That that is not an issue. They'll tell you that. Yeah, I'm addicted to that part of it. Good. Well, Tax, we appreciate you being yes, here. We sir. know you got to go somewhere. I do. So. I'm going to listen, but okay. I'm going to say goodbye now. All right, Dudley, why don't you explain what you're going to do All right, real so quick? We're gonna, I'm just going to ask you some personal questions. Uh, it's either this or that, and you just need to answer it quickly. Uh, if you feel the urge to say okay. both or neither or whatever, you can do that too. All right? Are you ready? Okay. Livers or gizzards? Yes, sir. <laughs> Rapala or Rapala? Rapala. No. Soybeans or corn? Rapala. <laughs> corn. Mild or spicy? Mild. Original or crispy? Crispy. You like to eat crappie or bluegill? Crappie. Suzuki or Yamaha? Ooh. Neither. <laughs> I prefer no not to walk. No comment. <laughs> I prefer not to walk. No comment. No comment. That was awesome. Uh, War Eagle or Roll Tide? Roll Tide. <laughs> Grow in the garden or buy at the store? Grow in the garden. Pistol. Vertical or horizontal? 
Gangster. <laughs> dove shoot or dove hunt? Dove shoot, babe. Dove hunters are what keep people in bed for shells. I'm a shooter. <laughs> Scrambled or fried? Fried. Lock on or climber? Lock on for T life. Turnip greens or mustard greens? Mm. Neither greens. <laughs> I don't eat what deer do. He had that experience one time. All right, last question. Baby wipes, regular or with moisturizer? It's dude wipes only, never cotton canal. Those cotton canal ones, whatever they cotton nail, they got something in them that will dry you out and chafe. You'll look like a silverback ape at the zoo down there, red <laughs> on the backside. Dude wipes. Dude wipes. Dude yeah. wipes. Dude wipes <laughs> FTW. Yeah. That might be the I've best advice any of us got today. <laughs> yeah. like a... I've told dude wipes forever. I said, if y'all make them individual packs and put some mossy oak on them instead of that black, I said, we'll sell every one you got because the scent's held in. And I'm like, dude, everybody's ever used them. And I got tricks because you can put one in your front pocket, let it warm up. And when that mood hits you in the morning, it's like going in one of them little warm restaurants. So. <laughs> Nothing like a warm wiping. It just brings a hunt like a live. You just start hearing birds sing in church. You just, you listen. Better. The man who thinks of everything. Yeah, she does. But he hadn't wow. had a. Uh, uh, Paw Paw ice cream yet? No, we got to hook him up. No, with I'm, that. On, yeah. I'm getting that when I come back. I'm, yes. I'm getting me some Paw Paw. Woo! All that right. Was good. Yeah, that was. It'll good. set you free for sure, guys. Yes, sir. that was good. So, yeah, uh, I, I'm, so, uh, so, what kind of boat motor are you liking these days? I'm running a Phoenix. I run a Mercury 250 with a Phoenix, uh, 21 foot PHX. Uh, pretty fast, pretty reliable, like on, on the big water. So, and it's all, I've only had two boat company sponsors in my career, and I've run Triton for almost. Uh, 19 years and then i've been with phoenix i'm not one to move around on that phoenix was a company i've always wanted to be with because they're family around a lot like you guys are like the owners like i know everybody so it's just a place i wanted to settle in for family and i told him i said i'll be buried in one of these i'm not never swapping again how about that well so look so you're so animated and you carry on so much stuff uh when you're out there fishing these tournaments these water skiers or jet skiers do they aggravate you, you ever chase one down and put them in their place does dolly pardon sleep on her back <laughs> they aggravate you <laughs> they make my teeth itch but like i'm actually boring when i'm fishing in tournaments most time when i compete my marshal always say he said dude you're like flip the switch she he said when they call your boat number out it went straight like full on beast like he said you don't talk you don't smile you don't nothing i said no i'm trying to make money to buy another mulcher and a cutter i said it's business you that's know? right it's all funny games till we start fishing but yes sea doers and all that do aggravate you but isn't it really nothing you can do you just look at them and think you know i understand your mother dropped you when you was little in a grocery store or something i understand you get your head <laughs> it's, there's no reason you should act that way but nobody's ever told a jet skier it ain't a spectator sport you can only go straight and sideways that's it I mean, I'm not impressed. When you can start running it on dry ground and jumping them hills, I'll watch you. But right here on the water, I, it's pretty boring. You're just going around and around. Yeah, I've never understood that. So, Gerald, before we uh, before we let you go, we got one more thing. We'd always like to ask a trivia question. If you get this right, one of our listeners wins a fabulous prize. So I'm going to turn it over to Richie now. Okay, uh, okay. Richie or, or no, Max actually here today. Max is here today. Yeah, it's, it's, you can tell wow, we're, we're Matt, kind of easing he, down on the seed shipping. He was so texting us. I, I should have known. I so. know. 
<laughs> All right, so hang on now. Let's uh, let's get to tell us who are we playing for, Matt. All right, so we're playing for Dalton Thunderhead, and Bobby said Mr. Toxie's closet was locked. So now we're playing for a Cooper hunting blind. Mm, okay, one of the wow. nice ones. Yeah, one of those umbrella blinds. Yeah, that's nice. right. Been bottomland, no doubt. All right, Thunderhead. You think that's for real? Thun- you well, Thunderhead. When I think of Thunderhead, I think of the old NAP Broadhead Thunderheads. You know, so I don't know. Maybe he's a bow hunter. Yeah, think of a yeah. storm. I called that the Greg Maddox Thunderhead. You couldn't, you couldn't fly it straight. It had a great breaking ball. I, I shot them Thunderheads when I was trying to shoot them deer that got behind them trees because it'd go out and circle the tree. <laughs> great, <it's> awesome. <laughs> uh, All right, here we go. You ready, Gerald? All right, I'm ready. What does the Alabama state record largemouth bass weigh? Is that a multiple choice? Or has he got to know it exactly? Uh, no, he's got to know it. Now, there's some private, there's some private pond fish that's caught that's been like 17 and 18, but it's a little over 16 pounds is what I'm 99% sure the Alabama state record out of a public reservoir is. That's he right. Nailed it. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Ding, 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 ding. 16 pounds, 8 ounces. Boom. Hey. That's a big old fish. Yeah. So, Gerald, you know that the the the, uh, the record dadgum dandy. The yeah. record here in Mississippi, there was an eighteen pounder in Davis Lake, wasn't it? Natchez Park Lake. Where is that? Natchez, Natchez, Natchez Trace Park Lake. It's in Pontotoc. I need to. I need you to drop me a pin. Ain't there. no problem. I grew up right by there. So, Gerald, I wanted to ask you one question, uh, please. I I love Rapala baits, and I never knew how Rapala. to pronounce the name. Rapala? R- R- I called him Rapala, but he called him Rapala. Yeah. Oh, my bad. So, but I love them. I always have. They're, they're, yeah. really, they're my favorite crankbaits. If you open my box, I got a bunch of them. Last weekend, I lost a fish that had to weigh 12 or 14 oh, of pounds. Of course he did if you lost and, him. And I, I had changed up <laughs> and was using a, a bait that had just been riding in my tackle box for years. I'd never used it. And... But so it was. Do I need to be changing out the treble hooks in my crankbaits? Is my question. Ah, good. Because I, I he, how did he get off a crank? Was it rusty? I, it's it's one of them things on a crankbait like the new the like on all that because I'm a Rapala guy, Rapala Rapala. I say it's according where you at on the Mason Dixon line or how you pronounce that. You know, if you go up north, it's uh, it's Rapala, it's Rapala. Down here, it's Rapala or Rapala. You know, they get to, if you're from Mississippi, they get that Rapala. Like you got a chew on there. But the new ones, the DT6, the DT8s, and the 10s, you know, VMC, uh, Rapala actually owns VMC. So the baits over the last six or eight years, the hooks have become extremely, extremely good. So on all the newer version baits of them, no, I don't change any hooks out. But if you happen to have some old Rapala baits from like, 10 or 15 years ago, I would say probably go ahead and change them. Yeah, that may have been my problem. You'd have had a 14 And, it, and it's a mystery bass. how they come off. Yeah, it's a mystery. You got six hooks on there, and that sucker can jump off before you could move. I don't, I, that makes no sense whatsoever. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I just felt like I had the hooks buried on this one, and then all of a sudden they, they came off. So Must but have it, been in your hook set. Yeah. Could have been. It was a big fish show. Uh, we'll never know. No, we'll, yeah, we'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Look, I, I'm looking at Mac. Mac, you're looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. Have you got a question for Gerald? No, I enjoyed it. Was it was going? has been fun. It was. It? It's super fun. Super enjoyable. Fun. A lot of stuff. Yeah. We learned a lot. I enjoyed it, guys. I, well, I would like to invite well, you to let's do it again, but get you to come over here and actually sit down yeah, with maybe us. maybe come hunting with us. Yeah, and come sit in the studio with us. That'd be I great. Would, yeah, I would love to do that. I'd love to be able to come uh, sit in the studio or hunt a little bit or just cook around camp. You know, I'm. 
I'm I'm still weird. If I didn't do a lot of work, I don't want to hunt. But I mean, I right. can do the toxic routine. So I'm just I want to kill some does. <laughs> we'll get you yeah. to clean the dishes. Yeah, well, we always got does to shoot. Hey, I can do that too. I'm glad I got to be on. I'm like, I told Lynn, I said, I hadn't got to do one. And I said, it'll be, you know, it's been a big passion of mine, like working this land and our farm and us together. I mean, we worked, we about broke ourselves down, but it's, it, it, like I said, been a different phase of my life where I, I enjoy that blood, sweat, and tears and growing them. So to talk to you guys and see what y'all are doing and get tips from like Toxie and how he works on his farm, it's kind of cool for me because I can put it to work on my farm. That's awesome. Yeah. So, hey, Gerald, uh, Mac has raised his hand. Evidently, uh, uh, he's got a question now. Surface. Go up. ahead. Uh, one more rapid fire. Bottom land or green leaf in the turkey woods? Okay. Uh, bottom land. Boom. Yeah. All right. Bottom land's going. You can't go wrong with bottom land. Oh, uh, you can't. You, you can. You can wear bottom land to a funeral or or a marriage. It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's right. if you got bottom land. Oh, you gonna fit in? You good? You good? I'd go to a Tupac concert wearing bottom land. <laughs> Wouldn't worry about it. A what? Tupac. What is that? You know Tupac. Tupac. And he's dead. It's right there with your Barry Manilow album. Oh yeah. Okay. Now I'm dead. Okay. Look, yeah. Gerald, we have really enjoyed this. Thank, thank you so much. And uh, look, you, guys, I appreciate it. Yes, I got sir. about. Uh, I don't know. We we got about. 30 more bags of corn to put out today, two feeders to put up, and two cameras. So work to my be wife's done. looking at me like it's going to be dark again. It is work to be done, but we're fixing to hit it. Guys, Good anytime, I, I'd love to come back and do it in the studio, but I hope you guys have a great weekend, and uh, I'm going to get some work done. Well, hang on before you, you before you leave now. Your wife, is you call her, her name is Lulu? We call her Lulu. Well, tell her we appreciate her setting this up because she went to a lot of trouble to set this up. And, Jared, I just want to yeah, say – she's. For uh for everybody at Mossy Oak, we appreciate the way you represent our brand out no there, and uh, we really do. And uh, there's, there's a lot of people. Tox had to leave, but I, I know he would say that. Well, I, I appreciate it, guys, and I, and I look forward to many years down the road. We're just gonna keep being, we're gonna keep being rednecks and try to be better people every day. But Lord, that's a struggle. Some days I'm gonna be honest with you. There's days during the week we're like, I'm just not gonna be a good person today. I can tell you, I just ain't gonna be able to rally it up. Yeah, we can keep trying. I'm gonna get on the tractor. <laughs> All right, we'll let you go, Gerald. Thank you. Thanks, Gerald. Y'all have fun out there. All right, y'all have Thanks, buddy. All right, he's gone. Yeah. Wow, that, that, was that was good. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, hearing how passionate he is, obviously he's a high-energy guy, you know, and, and, and works hard at everything. So how, seeing how that translates into his hunting stuff, because you know he's successful fishing for the same reason. So yeah. it's really cool. Sorry I was late. Well, it sounds I mean, like I'm in trouble over busted tires. He's just high profile. <laughs> he's got a bunch of fans. And, you know, getting out there in the woods, just him and his wife, uh, talk about therapeutic. Oh, yeah, you know? no doubt about it. It is a cool story. She was super helpful in putting this whole thing together. Dudley, I'm going to ask you, we maybe wait till next week, and, and we'll do two Ask Dudley okay. next, yeah. next time. It's, it's, next week. We've gotten a little long-winded, yeah, so I, there's, I can't. There's, uh, I agree. So, look, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, the, the TV show's Tuesday night. We've got a new one. The Dove Show just aired last Ooh, week. Richie, you did a great job. Glad that things have slowed down. we got Mac back, back in, in here. He, he's uh, over there texting as yeah. we speak. So, uh, Dudley, why don't you, uh, if you don't have anything else, say goodbye. Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.